morning, we're going to look at uh, a man who is lost in the desert. And uh, we find him here in Acts chapter 8. We'll begin reading in verse number 26. Would you stand with me? Let's stand as we read the scripture this morning. Acts chapter 8 and beginning in verse number 26. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down, to Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch, of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near. And join thyself to this chariot. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning as we examine this passage, as we see this man who's lost in the desert and in need of somebody to give him direction. Lord, we pray that you would help us who know you as our Savior, that we would be uh, constantly and consistently looking for opportunities to give direction. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that is uh, lost, that is not sure exactly where they will spend eternity, they don't know exactly uh, what the answers of life may be in some different areas, Lord, would you answer some of those questions today? Would you help even this morning that someone might be able to find the direction that is needed for their life. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We find a man here who has traveled a great distance. He has come from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in verse 27, he came for to worship. And so he's come for this reason. He's worshipped apparently in Jerusalem. Now he is heading back to Ethiopia. Perhaps he has heard of the God of the Jews. Perhaps he has heard that uh, Jerusalem being kind of the epicenter of uh, the religion of the Jews. And and so he's come here and apparently he's trying to figure some things out. He's trying to uh, understand some of the answers and the direction of life. And, And he's trying to kind of put it all together most likely. And certainly we see uh, from the passage that that appears to be exactly what is happening. And then, of course, the Lord comes to Philip. Philip's the evangelist of the Bible. He's located in Samaria, and the Lord tells him uh, that he is supposed to go, and he's supposed to speak to this man. Now, uh, Jerusalem to Gaza, this man's traveled to about an 80-mile hike. And the Lord is coming to Philip. This man's out in the middle here somewhere. Philip's down in Samaria. And the Lord says to Philip, I want you to go and I want you to find this man. He's been traveling. He's on his way back from Jerusalem. He's apparently been reading for a little while. And, uh, and we see the Holy Spirit here. He was not just asking Philip to maybe go across the street and knock on the door of his neighbor. He wasn't asking Philip even to go to the next town over and kind of see if he could reach somebody there. He was asking Philip to take what for this day would have been a fairly significant journey. Probably a a full day perhaps of walking and perhaps even longer. And and so Philip's going to go out and he's going to find this man out here in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness. And uh, he's going to approach him and he's going to try to uh, help this man along. And in that I see that it took Philip, a little bit of stick to Now, I know that's not a real word, but it's a good word, amen? And uh, it took him a little bit of labor, a little bit of work. Don't you appreciate people that'll work hard? <laughs> I'll tell you, one thing I appreciate that, uh, that you see so much of...
especially my grandfather's generation, uh, are people that they knew how to work. And uh, we were talking, uh, Brother Irving and I were talking about it the other night, that, uh, you know, there was just a, a generation that as a whole, they had a respect for God. Many not saved, but they at least had a respect for God. And, uh, and they just knew how to get in and go to work and labor. And uh, I'm not saying nobody does today, uh, but I would say my generation is probably not as known for that as a couple generations ago. Amen? And so uh, there was just, uh, there have been generations, they know how to labor and get after it. And you know, even still, we see people that are willing to work hard. And, and I think about the labor and the effort uh, that our police forces put in. And I'm so thankful for that. And 99.99% uh, of our police officers are doing a great job. And they put in effort and labor and do all that they can uh, to police in a right manner. Amen. Amen. That's a good spot for a good amen. I'll give you one more chance. They do a great job in our police force. Amen. amen. That was a little better. And uh, I think they need to know that there's a whole lot of us as Americans that we're behind them. Uh, that we understand there's a bad officer here and there. But the reality of it is that as a whole, they are a uh, great unit and they do a great job. And I tell Liam all the time, look, there's a man uh, who works hard. We were walking into a store the other day and uh, we saw some soldiers. I'm thankful for our soldiers, aren't you? And I'm thankful because they put in so much, and, and many of us have seen firsthand, in fact, many of you have uh, put in firsthand the labor that is required, and, and what respect comes for these uh, who serve in this kind of a manner? Liam and I stopped by those two soldiers, they were leaning on either side of a truck bed talking, and we stopped for just about a half a second, I said, men, thank you so much for serving our country, and uh, they said, thank you, we appreciate it, and that was the whole conversation, we kept going, uh, but I want them to know, and I want my son to learn, that uh, we're thankful thankful for those who labor to protect our country and labor to protect us. And I was in CVS up here the other day, a police officer was there. And I said, sir, thank you for your service. We sure appreciate you. And I know y'all have been through a lot lately. We just appreciate your service and your willingness to serve our community. And he looked at me and said, we've all been through an awful lot lately. And I said, I know you have. I said, I just want you to know there's a whole lot of us that are appreciative of you. And, uh, and we know that all uh, the vast majority of you are doing a great job. You're working hard and you're doing all that you can to treat people with respect in a fair manner. And he said, I sure appreciate that. And the lady behind the desk, she said, sir, I just want to say I agree and thank you for serving. And, you know, I mean, we ought to uh, be thankful for those who labor and those who work and uh, those who have some stick to But, you know, it would be a horrible thing if a police officer or a soldier were willing to work harder to preserve freedom and preserve life physically in the United States of America, then we as Christians are willing to labor to win people for all of eternity. You see, we are not just simply and merely laboring that people's physical life might be saved for a few moments or days, but we have the very answers to life. We have the very book that gives us the ability to go boldly into the community around us and tell people, look, we have the answers for which you are seeking. Uh, we have the answer to how to have peace in life. We have uh, the answer for how to know one who can give peace that passes all understanding. And we want you to know that we are coming and we are busy and we are diligent about the business of telling people about Jesus because just as a soldier and just as a police officer are busy and working hard to protect physical life, so we must be diligent about saving those from eternity eternal hell who do not know Jesus as their Savior. Oh, what a joy. Oh, what a privilege to be able to labor on behalf and in, uh, in communion with our Savior. And that's what we see of Philip. Here's a man who is laboring. 
Here's a man who has to put in some work to get down to this God-ordained meeting. Here's a man who has to travel a little ways in a day where it's not easy or safe to travel. And yet he said, if that's where God wants me to go, and if that's what God wants me to do, then I'm happy to just simply be obedient. Can I say to you, there are some things in our nation right now that are a little stirred up. (laughs) You probably noticed that. And there are some things in our nation that we may be a little concerned about. But the great need of our nation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the great need of our nation is Christians who will say in the midst of a tumultuous situation, a world that is filled with turmoil, I'm willing to be faithful. I'm willing to go. And I'm willing to give direction for those who need direction that will not only help them in this life, but for all of eternity. You know, Philip's a great example. Philip is one who labors, and Philip is one who would go. And here's this man who's trying to figure it all out. He's been to Jerusalem. Uh, perhaps this is a business trip as well. It's very likely that it would have been a, uh, a dual purpose, that he's going to worship while he's there, uh, most likely being from Ethiopia. He would believe in multitudes of gods. And so it's very likely that he's coming here anyway. And while he's there, he says, you know what, I'm going to worship while I'm there. And so his business trip kind of turns into a personal trip as well. And kind of like people who go on business trips and play golf while they're there. Amen? And uh, so he says, what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to go down to the temple, and I'm going to go down and worship, and, and I'm going to try to figure out this, this next God and see if maybe I can kind of add him to my list of gods. And, and again, we don't know for sure, but being from where he is and being from Ethiopia during this time, most likely uh, that would have been part of the pro- thought process. Uh, this is another God to understand. It's another God uh, to be able to grasp about him and and. and be able to worship him kind of while I'm there, uh, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do type of a mentality. When I get to Jerusalem, I'll just do what the people of Jerusalem do. I'll worship their God while I'm there, and, and it'll be a good experience. It'll be a neat time. And so this man comes, and apparently while he's there, he sees some things, and, and he begins to hear, perhaps, even from these uh, Judaizers who would be still living in Old Testament Judaism, but he begins to hear that their God is the one true God. And perhaps he's never heard that before. And, and, and there's something in him that apparently begins to spark with an interest. And he begins to kind of wonder and try to figure it out. In his commentary on Acts, August Van Ryn wrote, Could it be that this wealthy politician had done what so often is done and ignored those who had no recognized place in the religious hierarchy and had gone instead to the great names in Jerusalem? Perhaps he went to the temple which Jehovah had left and sought light from the blind leaders of the blind. That is what many do even today. Few desire to listen to the humble folk who truly preach Christ and who rather than seeking a name for themselves, seek the name which is above every name. You know, probably while this man was there, he went to that temple and he went to worship this God as he had many other gods. And he began to hear that there's one true God and he began to wonder but his learning was all from the temple the place where God had once uh, had made his residence the place where once uh, his abode had been but now we're in New Testament amen now as we are in Acts chapter 8 he is taking up residence inside of people who have received Jesus as their savior in the person of the Holy Spirit of God 
Now it is different. The place of his abode is not a physical temple, but rather those who know Christ as their Savior have become the temple of the living God. What know you not that your body is the temple, Paul would say. And so now there's a whole different element to this, but this man doesn't understand it all, and he's gone to the place that seems like it would be the place to go. He's learned from these people who are, they're just blind leaders of blind, the Bible tells us. They're these Pharisees. They're these ones who uh, they really don't understand. They really don't know. And and they probably told him, look, the people of this new way. I I mean, you know, we, we shouldn't be given to change. Doesn't the Bible tell us that? So we shouldn't be given to change. And these people of this new way, they're following this man, Jesus, and they say that he died and rose again. I mean, you know, how out there is that? And they're worshiping some guy that died somewhere so they could say that he rose. And really, you don't want to get get kind of caught up with that crowd. You really want to be a part of what we're doing. Come worship this way. So all that, you can just imagine, if you, if you do for a moment, this Ethiopian man coming into Jerusalem, he goes in probably to the temple, and that's what's happening. That's the culture of the day. Don't listen to these other people over here. They're following Jesus. You need to follow Yahweh. You need to follow the Old Testament uh, God. You need to follow the Old Testament laws. So he's probably heard all this. And, and maybe he already had it. Maybe while he was at the temple, somebody handed it to him. Uh, you know, they had a tendency around the temple about this time to turn it into a den of thieves. Amen. They turned the work of God into something they were just paid to do. And so uh, perhaps they just had some merchandise out for sale. I remember when I went to see the Lincoln Memorial and I was walking out and I walked into the little bookstore thing that they have there and you can buy all kinds of different Lincoln stuff. And I bought a little statue thing. I shouldn't say statue. Someone will think I worship it in my office. But I bought a little thing that I can set on there. And uh, uh, the reality, either that or someone will come try to tear it down. But uh, the reality of it is that uh, I bought that little thing just as a keepsake, a reminder of having been there. Abraham Lincoln's my favorite president. And uh, just being there and seeing the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. and how neat of a thing that that was. And, and, and it was just kind of a cool thing. So I imagine, I don't know, maybe he's walking out and uh, there's a little guy over here at the side of the temple and uh, maybe as he gets back out to the street or something like that and the guy is saying, hey, hey, come over here. You can buy your scrolls right here. Uh, Book of Isaiah for you, sir. And he says, you know, I'm kind of interested. I'm trying to figure this out. Somewhere, whether he already had it, whether he bought it, whatever, he's got a book, the scroll, the book of Isaiah as we would know it. And he gets back into his chariot and, and he begins to travel once again. So you can kind of picture uh, the man. You can picture the illustration. You can picture a little bit of uh, perhaps where he is. As we begin this morning, I want to ask you three questions. Number one, who are you listening to concerning your eternal destination? Maybe you say, well, you know, I, I've had these people that have told me this and that, or I had a priest, or I had a preacher, or I had a, a, a person, or I had a nun that one time told me. And, and you could have all kinds of different answers, but the reality is this, if it doesn't come from this book, then it's not what is needed. The reality is that only the Bible, the Word of God, has the answers that answer the questions of eternity. And so here was a man who needed to come to the right place. Perhaps he's been, in fact, likely he's been to the temple and he's heard from the religious. But now he is coming to the Word of God. I ask you, first of all, who have you listened to? Secondly, who have you, uh, who have you listened to people 
and performed a religious ceremony. Maybe you say this morning, Pastor, I know I'm saved. No doubt about it. I'm sure if I died, I'd go to heaven because I got baptized in this church or I got baptized in that place. Someone said you could get baptized out in every creek, every lake, and every pond until every fish in every one of them knows your social security number. I don't know how they figured out from you getting baptized. I never quite figured out that part of the saying, but uh, they said you could do that. It wouldn't get you one step closer to heaven. And it's true, amen? The reality of it is being baptized will not save. Joining a church will not save a person. Doing a religious ceremony or going through a confirmation will not save a person. Rather, there's only one way to heaven. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's only one option. There's only one way. And we see that uh, as we go through the story here. And then I ask you this question. Have you learned from the Bible? how to have a relationship with Jesus. Oh, many this morning could say, yes, I know of a time when somebody took a Bible, maybe a parent, maybe a soul winner, maybe a friend or a pastor, and they sat down with me and they didn't tell me what they thought or what the church taught, or they didn't tell me a ceremony to go through, but they told me here is what the Bible says, and I trusted Jesus alone as my personal Savior. This man is standing at this crossroad. He's heard from the religious He's about to hear from the man of God who's going to tell him what the scriptures say. He's at the place of life to make a decision either to choose religion or to choose the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an exciting place and it's an exciting time, but it's a vitally important time that someone be there. You know, someone said, when people have a need for God, they're going to go to the last person who represented God to them. And you know that's what we want our church to be, the last place. And the people of our church to be the last people who have represented God to our community. And that's why we always want to be out and telling people and inviting people and even just leaving a track here and there because the reality is we want people to say, there's a church who loves people, there's a church who loves souls, and there's a church who might have the answers of how to know Jesus. I know a man, Glenn LePage, he's a missionary, He's a missionary to the British Isle of Gurney. It's not Gurney. That's how I said it. He said, Pastor, it's not Gurney. It's Gurney. I said, that's what I said, Gurney. He said, no, it's Gurney. I said, okay, that's strange. And uh, he grew up on this little island. It's right outside of uh, England there. I don't know exactly how all that works, but uh, it's a British Isle. And uh, he grew up there and uh, was, uh, lived a wicked life. And he told his testimony uh, of how he had just grown up in wickedness. He'd grown up thinking there really was no purpose to life. And, and really his whole purpose was someday just to get off the island. It's a place that's gray most of the time. It's a place of great depression like Seattle. I mean, it's, uh, you know, just rains all the time. I say that because, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very similar type of a place to Seattle, Washington. I mean, my wife says, uh, yeah, I love when it rains. And it's just that soft, gentle rain. It reminds me of home. I think that's like the most miserable thing in the world when it's gray and it's just, as, I mean, it might as well rain hard, get it over with and get the sun back out, amen? And, uh, but she loves that nice gentle rain to walk out there and get a little bit wet. And, I mean, it's just uh, a wonderful thing, I guess, for some people. And this man grew up in a place like Seattle, just rains all the time and it's always gray. And he said, you know, there's great depression on the island. 
He said, I grew up and I would drink to try to, uh, you know, deal with it and all these different things. And, and he said, finally, I figured out my life just had no purpose and no direction and, and no real uh, reason even to exist almost. And he said, I was coming to that place of, of why am I even here? What am I even doing? And is there even any reason to continue? He said, I decided I should go to church. And so he started going back to a church and he decided to go to the only church he'd really known. He went to a Methodist church. He said, I went to the Methodist church and I went in and, and, and he would tell the story of how he went for a little bit and they would bring him down and they'd pray and they'd have him do some of these different religious things, and, but nothing seemed to be doing it. And finally, uh, he said, I went to him and I asked him, he said, I didn't know to ask it this way then, but now I understand to say it this way. He said, I, I asked him uh, how to be saved. How do I, he said, you know, how do I have joy? How do I have peace? What are the answers? And he said, they... They didn't really know. He said, I asked five or six people. Nobody knew what to tell me. Instead, they handed me a little card. And he said, well, here's a prayer. Just, just pray what it says on that card. And he said, so I prayed it. He said, I prayed it several times. I prayed it five, six, seven times and no change. He said, finally, one night I was there in my home and, and life wasn't getting any better and things weren't changing and I'd prayed the prayer. He said, I pulled the little card out, and, and with all the fervency I could muster, I prayed the prayer. No change. Did nothing. And he said, finally there, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I just started to cry out to God, and I said, God, would you just save me? Would you just help me? Would you just show me how to have a relationship with you? And, and all I want is you, and I don't know where to turn, and I don't know what to do. And, and this dumb little prayer on this card isn't doing me any good. And he just began to speak to the Lord and pray to the Lord and ask and beg God to just have a relationship with him and save him. And you know, as he looked back later, he realized, I understood that I was a sinner, and I begged God to forgive my sin. And, and I understood that he was... was God. I was praying to and begging to have a relationship with me. And he said, all of a sudden that night, something changed. You know what happened? He came to know Jesus as a Savior. What a sad testimony. A man who now is going back to Gurney as a missionary to tell others because there's just really hardly anybody that uh, is on the island telling people how to know Jesus as their Savior. He's going to go back and plant a church. And, but what a testimony. I went to church and I asked and I asked and I asked and no one knew we can know today and there's so many in our world that are asking the questions and they're desiring the answer and they need a Philip to come along and be a friend in the midst of their wilderness I want to give you this morning four reasons that this man needed a true friend someone who could lead him to Jesus I see here first of all he was a searching man he was a searching man verse number 28 says that he was returning and sitting in his chariot he read Isaiah the prophet now I would imagine many of us in this room have read the book of Isaiah but if you've read the book of Isaiah you know it's not just kind of light reading I mean, it's not like you just kind of give it a quick uh, once over and you've got it all figured out and you know exactly what's happening and what everything's going. I mean, uh, it's a little bit of a deep book. So here's a man who is curious. In fact, the Bible's going to tell us here uh, where he's reading. Philip comes and asks him and he tells him. And the passage he tells him, it's in Isaiah chapter 53. 
So this man has uh, most likely, this is a scroll that uh, it could contain more than just Isaiah. Maybe he's read more. Maybe he's read some other scrolls as well. Uh, maybe it contains the whole book of Isaiah. Sometimes they'd be partial scrolls, but it's at least uh, very probable that he's read 53 chapters of the book of Isaiah here on this scroll as he's traveling along, probably several hours of traveling. And so he's been reading and reading and reading. And I don't know if you've ever sat down in one sitting and read chapters 1 to 53 of Isaiah. But that takes a little bit of a desire to figure out something in the Bible. Amen. Here's a man who's searching. Here's a man who is seeking. Here's a man who is looking for the answers of life and he's read through the scroll. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 4.29, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. You know what? God makes a promise that when a person is seeking him with their whole heart and their whole soul, that he will make sure they can find him. Here's a man who's seeking. Here's a man who's searching. And as this searching man is sitting in this chariot and he's reading through the book of Isaiah, God brings along the man Philip. And he brought him to the exact place to give the man the exact answer to the questions of his heart. Isn't it an amazing thing that it was God who made sure his answers got, got answered? Oh, he used Philip. But Philip is like us. He's nothing special. He's just merely a mouthpiece. It's not the man who was special. Amen? Well, I don't think so. Uh, just like the Apostle Paul. Nothing special about the Apostle Paul. Other than God decided to use him in the manner he did. But you know what? The Bible tells us even Elijah is a man of like passions as we are. It's not the men that were special. It's the way God used those men that was special. Here's a man named Philip. Here's a man who is seeking, and here's a man, I mean, a man who's seeking the eunuch, and here comes Philip with the answers, and God's the one who brought him, and God's the one who's answering the questions, and God's the one who's making sure that he's able to find him because he's seeking with his whole heart. I'm glad that continues into the New Testament. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh, it shall be opened. I'm glad that God gives a promise that when a person comes seeking after him, that he will make sure that they can find him. Here's a man who is a searching, a seeking man. I see, first of all, he was curious, but I see, secondly, that uh, we know he was seeking because he was concerned. Apparently, he was concerned about himself and understanding what the truth is. You know when a person comes to the place where they begin to seek after God and the Holy Spirit of God begins to draw them into a relationship with Almighty God Himself, when that begins to happen and when that uh, pulling on that heart and the working of the Holy Spirit begins to take place, you know what happens? A person generally becomes concerned. And they're not just curious anymore, now they're concerned. Wait a minute, if I don't understand these things and if I don't make the decisions necessary, then what's going to happen? Then where will I be? Then what will happen to my family, to my children? Perhaps this man's even thinking to my nation. Here's a man whose heart God was convicting of sin. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever quite been where this man is. I don't know if I've ever really sought after God. I, I don't know for sure, absolutely and totally, that if I died right now, that I would wake up in heaven. I don't know if I could say that. But I would say this morning I'm concerned. I want to know. I want to make sure that heaven will be my eternal home. I, I don't want to mess up the most important decision in life, and that's the decision of where I will spend all of eternity. I, I want to make the right decision. I want to get it nailed down. Can I say to you this morning, if you're here, that God brought you here to be able to get the answer to that this morning. Here's a man just like you. He's seeking. He's searching. You say, Pastor, I don't have any question whatsoever. If I died right now, I'd wake up in heaven, no doubt about it. Can I just kind of tune out now? No, 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 hold on. These are the people that are all around us in society. Do you realize we live in the midst of a society that is literally crying out for help? And we live in the midst of a society filled with people who are seeking for the answers. They're seeking for hope. They're seeking for justice. By the way, Jesus, God, is the one and only true justice. He's the one and only true answer to all of this. Amen? And here's the answer. And we have it. And we live in the midst of a culture that is curious, especially right now. And we live in the midst of a culture that there are being many convicted and, and drawn and somebody's talking to them, maybe in their family about the Lord and, and maybe they can only get so far. And there are people around our world that are praying for people that live in our community and somebody somewhere is an aunt or a grandma or a mom who's praying, Lord, would you take somebody from some church that knows the gospel by my grandson or my nephew you or my niece or my brother or my cousin's house would you help them i've done what i can i've given them the gospel as much as they'll listen would you send somebody by that maybe they would listen to and we get to be that person we get to be people who go to those who are seeking and searching and trying to figure out life and they are filled with curiosity and they are filled with concern but not only that he was confused He's seeking because he does not yet understand. And do we not live in the midst of a society that is obviously confused? A society that obviously is looking in the wrong places for the right answers. We live in the midst of a society that has no clue how to have true inner peace. No clue how to have a real and true relationship with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That means somebody who does not have the Holy Spirit of God cannot fully understand this book. Oh, sometimes someone will read it, and the Holy Spirit will open up the understanding, so they'll receive Christ as their Savior, and they'll get it. But most of the time, it requires a Christian, it requires someone who knows the answer to sit down and say, let me explain to you how to know Jesus as your Savior. Here's a man who's seeking, he's read, he is looking into the Word of God, he's at least come to the right place, but he's very confused, he doesn't know how to find the answers. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2.10, but God hath revealed them to us by His Spirit. God is the one who must reveal it to the heart by the Spirit of God. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And so what a joy when somebody knows Christ as their Savior, now they can sit down and the Bible begins to open up. 
And that's what will happen for the world even around us. Uh, We see here the importance of a man who is seeking. Secondly, I see a man who's not only seeking, but a man who is sorrowful. Look what the Bible says in verse number 31. It says, and he said, how can I? So uh, let's go to verse 30, sorry for context. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest what thou readest? He said, how can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So we see here a seeking man, a searching man, but now he's a sorrowful man. Philip comes to him and he says, do you understand what it is that you're reading? Philip understands he's reading Isaiah, and apparently he understands exactly where he's at. And Philip, I mean, he's got to have his eyes wide. He's thrilled and excited. I mean, he's already at a soul-winning passage. This is wonderful. I can take you right from where you are to Jesus. Man, you couldn't be at a better place of Isaiah. And he's probably thinking, I'm glad he's not on Isaiah 14. I mean, way to have more of a journey. But Isaiah 53, that's an easy step to the cross. Amen. And so Philip, I mean, he's probably excited as a soul winner. He's there. He's ready to go. And uh, he looks at him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And now this man, he's searching, but he's also sorrowful. He says, how can I? Can you imagine the sorrow of the heart? I'm trying. I've been trying now for some time. I'm, I'm trying to grasp it, but I just can't grasp it unless someone teaches me. He needed a teacher. You realize the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 28, two different times, uh, that we are supposed to be teaching in the Great Commission. It tells us, first of all, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And I am, uh, lo, I am with you all way, even unto the end of the world. He tells us two different times we're supposed to be teaching. Verse number 19, the first time he says it, go therefore and teach all nations. That is, teach them how to have a relationship with God. The great commission that God gives to the church is that we would go out into the world around us and tell people how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the number one mission. His last command, go into uh, all nations. His last command must be our first priority. And so we have a job to do. We have a responsibility that is to get the gospel message to the world around us on a regular basis. And so we see here uh, a man who is commissioned to teach, a man who is sent to teach, just as every Christian is sent to teach by God. Number one, we're supposed to teach them how to know Jesus as their Savior. But then it tells us that the next thing is they're supposed to be baptized. They become a member of a local New Testament church and they begin to serve God. And one of the things that's supposed to happen then or the next part of the Great Commission is what sometimes we call discipleship. And really what that is, it's just a word for we're teaching them how to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Or in other words, we're teaching them to observe all the things that God commanded in his word. So we're not just supposed to go and see them come to know Christ as their Savior. But now we're supposed to teach them, if we can say it this way, how to be a good Christian. How to live a life pleasing to God. We're supposed to teach and train somebody who's a brand new believer to the point where now they can go out and they can tell people about their relationship with Jesus and how they can have a relationship with Jesus. And it's cyclical. You see, the real idea is that somebody goes out and they tell someone and that person chooses to trust Jesus as their Savior. And so now that person kind of takes them under their wing because they're a babe in Christ. And they take them under their wing and they begin to teach them and train them. And by the way, you don't train them by going up to them every Sunday and saying, now why are you doing that? Amen? They don't need critiqued. They need a teacher. 
They need a teacher who will uh, do it the right way, some encouragement. They need a teacher who will have them over to their house and, and just let them see a Christian home that has some, uh, instead of just weird artwork and modern art on the wall, and you might have some one of those where it's just paint flung all over. That's fine, you can have it. Uh, but you know they ought to be able to see a home that operates in a godly manner and maybe some scripture on the walls. They ought to be able to say, you know, this is different than what I've usually seen. It's different than what I've, I've grown up around. If it's somebody who's an adult and getting saved and, and maybe didn't grow up in a Christian home, and you know what we're doing? We're not bringing them in and saying, now you see how we have that on the wall? You need that too. No, no, we're teaching just by loving them. We're teaching by just spending time with them. We're teaching gently. Hey, the great need that people have is not that they change what's on their wall and it's not that they change what's dressing their body. It's that they change the heart, that they are renewed in their mind. Amen? Romans 12, that they're renewed in their mind. And by the way, if they fall in love with Jesus, he will tell them what to wear and what to put on their walls. Amen? And so the reality of it is we have a need to be out. Here's a sorrowful man. He just needs a teacher. He needs somebody who will help him. Thirdly, I see a submissive man. Verse number 34 says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Here's a man who was receptive. He's asking questions. He's willing to be taught. He's saying, look, just, just give me the answers of the passage. I'm trying to understand it. He was receptive. Verse 35 says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You notice he didn't give him necessarily the full answer of who uh, this man was. Was he talking about Isaiah? Was it, he said, let me just tell you about Jesus. That's the real focus of the passage. Can we say this morning the real focus of our church is not that we have more people, though that's wonderful when it happens. And the real focus of our church is not that we all dress the same and all look the same and have some uh, ability to mold in and fit in and, and have some outward compatibility. That's not really the goal of our church. The real goal of our church is that people will fall in love with Jesus and that Jesus will be lifted on high and glorified. Jesus is the purpose of our church. Jesus is the goal that we have as a church to grow in our relationship with him. That's what it's really all about. It's really all about Jesus Christ. Here's a man, Philip, who understood that. This man was receptive. He hears now about Jesus. And then verse 36 says, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I see he was not only receptive, he was responsive. I'm willing to make a decision for Christ. I'm willing to do something. I'm willing to respond to him. And he was receptive. And then verse number 37, Philip said, and now here's what would hinder him, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Believe what? Well, the book of Romans tells us he had to understand that he was a sinner, number one. But then he also had to believe that Jesus is God. It tells us exactly what we have to believe. He had to believe that Jesus as God died on the cross and that he rose again on the third day by his own power that God the Father raised him. He had to believe that, and then he had to be willing to repent. Now here's a man who probably has many gods that he would claim to serve. So repent means he had to say, I'm not going to worry about serving any of those. I'll give them all up. For Jesus alone. And so here's the man uh, with these questions and Philip is saying to him, look, if you believe, if you're willing to make that kind of a decision, that kind of a commitment, then you can be baptized, but until then you cannot. 
Because the baptism is only a picture, but it's a picture that I've chosen to receive Jesus as my Savior. I've turned from everything else. And so the idea was not let's get baptized so we can go to heaven. It was have you already made the decision to respond to Jesus? That's what takes you to heaven, and then you can be baptized. And so he asks him the question, or, or he makes the statement, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. That is the requirement. That is what must happen. Verse 37 at the end, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Oh, what an answer. We read that sometimes, perhaps from our Western mindset. We say, okay, I mean, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. A lot of people believe that. I don't know, he said, Jesus Christ, that is Jesus the Messiah. I believe this Messiah that you're telling me, I believe he's the Messiah of the Old Testament. I believe that he is God in the flesh, in other words, who has come. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And not just that, but I believe he is the Son of God. In this time, to say that, for us in our Western mindset, if we say the Son of someone, we picture a father and a separate person who is the Son. Somebody could say that my son is the son of Brian Schaefer, and and they would be accurate. Liam is the son of Brian Schaefer. And you would picture that not as they are one and the same, but they are two different people. That's the dad, that's the son. But New Testament times, that's not how it was. In the Eastern mindset and in this New Testament age, it was to say that he is the son of someone was to say they are exactly co-equal. They are indeed one and the same. And he's making that claim. Here's what he's saying. I believe Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah of the Old Testament. I believe that he's the one true God, the God he probably had just heard about uh, there in Jerusalem in the temple. I believe he is that one true God. And I believe that Jesus is the one who's that Messiah. And not only that, but I believe that he is one and the same with God the Father. He is the Son of God. I believe he's the Messiah. And I believe that he is God in the flesh. In other words, I'm turning from all of everything else. Because I found the one true God. Yes, I'd like to be baptized so I can identify with the fact that I've chosen him and rejected them. What a decision. So here's a man choosing Christ above all else and exclusive of all else. It's Jesus alone. He was a submissive man. He did not demand that God try to explain it all to him. He just simply said, I understand the word of God and I'll respond to it. And then I see he's a saved man. The Bible tells us verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still and went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The baptism showing that he had made the decision to trust Jesus as his savior. He was saved. He was saved first from the bondage of sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I, I don't know that heaven would be my eternal home, and, and, but there's so much that I just need to, I need to change and I need to fix. And, and you know, I really kind of need to flip over a new leaf in my life. And when I get some things in order, then I'll come back and I'll get it taken care of. But I really need to kind of straighten my life out before I really come to God. But you know, that's not what is needed. Jesus says that you're to come just as you are. Don't try to fix anything because all you can do is a superficial fixing for a few moments, but he's the one who can transform the heart and transform the mind. He's the one who gives not only salvation as we often think of eternity, but this man was saved and every person who trusts Christ as their savior is saved from the bondage of sin. They are set free to be able to serve God. Not only was he saved from the bondage of sin, he was saved from burning in hell, amen? 
He was saved for all of eternity. The Bible says there's only one of two places a person can go for eternity. When your body separates from your soul, it goes somewhere, either to heaven forever and ever, or to hell forever and ever. You say, how could a loving God choose to send a person to hell? Oh, he never does, but he does allow a person to make a decision of where they will spend eternity. The fact is, Jesus died not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And whosoever will may come, they just have to be willing to come. But the reality is God allows you to have a choice, a free will. He allows you to choose to either receive or reject him. The fact of the matter is when we reject him, the Bible says he can allow uh, nothing but absolute perfection into his heaven. People hear about the fires of hell. The fires of hell are not the big problem of hell. The big problem of hell is it's a place of separation from a holy God. The fact is that is what makes it a place of eternal death. But eternal life is being with God. That's the biggest difference of them all. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know, I'd like to be able to be saved. I'd like to know that heaven would be my eternal home. You can this morning be a saved person. If you simply make the decision to receive Jesus as your Savior, we'd love to help you with that in a few minutes. And then I see he not only was saved from bondage and saved from burning, but he was saved by the blood for all of eternity. Saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the only thing that can wash away sin. Here was a man who was a saved man. And then verse number 39, and we'll finish here. It says, And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he, the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing. I see he was a saved man and then he became a singing man. <laughs> He's rejoicing. He's excited. He's thrilled. You say, you know, I don't know about this whole thing of being saved and knowing Jesus is my son. I mean, I'll have to go to church every Sunday and I have to go to church on Wednesday and I have to do all these things. And I mean, I, how much religious rigmarole do I really have to go through? And, 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 and I mean, everyone's going to think I'm weird in my neighborhood when they see me leaving every Sunday morning. And I, I mean, I mean, how does all that really work? How much does it really cost? And how much do I have to do? And I'd say to you, number one, it really doesn't matter. It's worth it for an eternity in heaven. But number two, it doesn't cost anything. You get everything. The reality is it's not a bad thing. I hear people every now and then even preaching. They'll say, well, I gave up all this for, uh, for Christ. I mean, I could have been a professional athlete and I gave it all. No, no, I didn't give up anything. They got everything when they trusted Christ as their Savior. Here's a man who was searching. Here's a man who was sorrowful. Here's a man who was in need. Here's a man who had nothing, though he had all the wealth of, of Ethiopia at his fingertips, and yet he realized, I have nothing without Christ. But once he knew Jesus as his Savior, he went away rejoicing. The Bible tells us in Psalm 41 that Jesus, that God can take our feet out of the miry clay and set our feet on a rock. Put a new song in our mouth. This is the song of a heart, not just merely the songs coming from a lip. Here's a man who's rejoicing, who's thrilled, who has a song inside of him of praise for the Savior because now he knows Jesus. You know, even if it didn't mean eternity in heaven, and I'm glad it does, the Christian life is still the greatest life to live, even just on this earth. It's the most exciting, it's the most thrilling, it's the most wonderful life because it's the only life where you get to have a relationship with Almighty God. Do you have that this morning? 
I ask you this morning, whether you're here or watching online, if you were to drop dead right this moment, obviously I hope that doesn't happen, but if it did, do you know for sure that heaven would be your eternal home? If you can say yes to that, how busy are you helping other people be able to say yes to that question? Here's a man who needed someone like Philip. He's lost in the desert. Oh, he knew where he was going and which road to take. But he did not know where he was going for eternity. And we pass by people every day. They're lost in the middle of the desert of life. And they're searching and they're seeking. Are we giving them the answers as we pass along their way? Father, we love you. We thank